Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Mike Bernhard, a retired member of the AFT, IBEW, and a current member of the Industrial Workers of the World. Thank you for all to all our listeners. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. Hi, I'm Madison Delier, an East High Schooler student, and today we bring me news on the United Auto Workers, an update on the organizing at Noble Knight, negotiations at Madison Sourdough, and much more. And if you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. Greg Jabowski has the latest update from the UAW. Today, at noon Eastern and 11 a.m. Central Time, the United Auto Workers significantly expanded their strike against the big three automakers, this time targeting 38 parts distribution plants across the country, including two in Wisconsin, Stellantis's Mopar facility in Milwaukee and GM's Hudson Parts Distribution Center in Hudson. The targeted strikes, called a stand-up strike by the UAW, in an analogy to its famous sit-down strikes of the 1930s, started one week ago, with walkouts of GM's assembly plants in Wentzville, Missouri, Stellantis' Toledo Assembly Complex in Ohio, and Ford's Michigan Assembly Plant in Wayne, Michigan. UAW President Sean Fain again addressed the entire union and the nation in a live-streamed speech, delivered this morning, minutes before the new plant walkouts went into effect, which Fain announces here. At noon Eastern today... All parts distribution centers at General Motors and Stellantis will be on strike. This will impact these two companies' repairs operations, and our message to the consumer is simple. The way to fix the frustrating customer experience is for the companies to end price gouging. Invest these record profits into stable jobs and sustainable wages and benefits. It's that simple. A significant detail of the newly announced strikes is that they do not target Ford Motor Facilities, only those of GM and Stellantis. The UAW says that it considers that Ford is at least conducting good-faith bargaining, while both GM and Stellantis have made a point to blame the UAW in a strike for any consequences against workers. On Wednesday, both GM and Stellantis announced layoffs affecting facilities in Kansas, Ohio, and Indiana, with GM shutting down an entire 2,000-person assembly plant in Kansas. Although the layoffs were carefully worded so as to blame the economic effects of the strike, rather than indicating these were retaliation for the strike, as that would be illegal under federal law, GM issued a statement that, quote, no one wins in a strike, unquote an analysis that apparently differs from management-led lockouts. For its part, after announced layoffs, including some by Ford Motor, it has partially struck Wayne, Michigan assembly plant, Fain was defiant, saying, quote, if the big three decide to lay people off who aren't on strike, that's them trying to put the squeeze on our members to settle for less. With their record profits, they don't have to lay off a single employee. In fact, they could double every auto worker's pay, not raise car prices, and still rake in billions of dollars, unquote. Today, Fain stressed the nationwide aspect of the new round of strikes. This expansion will also take our fight nationwide. We will be everywhere from California to Massachusetts, from Oregon to Florida. And we will keep going, keep organizing, 
and keep expanding the stand-up strike as necessary. Across the country, people are going to know that the UAW is ready to stand up for our communities and ready to stand up against corporate greed. The UAW president openly discussed the union bargaining strategy and contract talk gains with Ford Motor, an example of which is here. As you know, we gave our members demands to the company two months ago. They wasted over a month failing to respond. And there has been some movement, and particularly this last week, we've made some real progress at Ford. We're not there yet, but I want you to see the direction that Ford is going and what we think that means for our contract fight. So at Ford, the Rawsonville components and Sterling Axle employees will now be on the same wage scale as assembly workers. We have eliminated that entire wage tier. We've also officially reinstated the cost of living allowance that was suspended in 2009. UAW family, that's important because many people said this couldn't be done and we just did it. Thane did not open his speech with a strike announcement, though. He instead lauded a UAW organizing victory among graduate students at a university in Massachusetts. Before we get started, I want to note a major organizing victory for our union. Last night, 2,900 graduate workers at Northeastern University voted by an overwhelming 94% to form their union with the UAW. Congratulations first and foremost to these workers who have fought a multi-year effort against intense employer opposition to win their union. Fain also highlighted the international solidarity and strike actions conducted around the world by workers employed by the multinational Big Three. Obviously, we've been in close contact with our Unifor family in Canada, and I know that all of you have been cheering them. Their fight is our fight. We've been in close contact with our Mexican union counterparts, who have held demonstrations in front of GM offices in Mexico City. In Italy, 6,000 Stellantis workers recently went on strike. To our Italian Union family, your fight is an inspiration. We support you, and your struggle is our struggle. From South Africa to Malaysia, we continue to receive letters and messages of strength and support, encouraging our members to hold the line and win big. And we will. Fain stressed the public support the strike has received in the U.S. Finally, I want to remind all of you of one thing. The world is watching and the people are on our side. We've seen poll after poll come out saying the American people support what we are doing. In fact, polls say support for our strike is growing. That's across parties, across ages, and across all kinds of people. There was UAW President Sean Fain speaking today on a live stream on the UAW Facebook page as he announced the expansion of the UAW strike to 38 GM and Stellantis parts distribution plants across the country, including two in Wisconsin. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky. Noble Knight Games United in Fitchburg is on their eve of their first contract ratification vote. Labor Radio spoke with a member of the union's bargaining committee to learn more about the proposed contract. Under a year after their union was voluntarily recognized, nearly 70 employees at the tabletop gaming distributor Noble Knight Games are voting on their first contract. 
Labor Radio sat down with CWA Local 4652 President Rob Belk to discuss the tentative agreement. Belk says the workers voiced their concerns directly to set the terms of negotiations. You know, typically at CWA, how we do it, we put out a survey with all the members and they tell us what they want to see in the contract and what's important to them, and we have them rate it. And so we took all that into consideration when we were bargaining. What's important, of course, the number one thing is to increase their base wages. After the union won their certification, workers facing job insecurity received much-needed advocacy during negotiations. Um, We've also had some disciplinary actions that were taking place during negotiations that the union was able to successfully negotiate some agreements with the company so people didn't lose their job. Belk explained that workers having a continued voice in company operations was an imperative part of discussions this year. Negotiations are very contentious. And so with the company, especially with their lawyers, we didn't always see eye to eye, but towards the end of the day, we've come around to mutually agreeing that you know, this is what's going to happen and take place. And, you know, not just myself, but the members want to partner with the company to make it successful. Uh, that was pretty important for everybody. We've actually put contractual language that we meet quarterly with the company to discuss mutual interests that benefit the employees and the company, you know, so the company can be profitable and successful. So our members, you know, see some fruits of their labor. The terms of the tentative contract standardize pay for equal work, as well as raising standards for all workers. Starting wage was all over the map. You know, some people were getting brought in at 11, or 14 bucks an hour, and some people been there almost a year were only making 13 or 12 bucks an hour. So the, the, the workers there, uh, we started the, the base wage now has been increased by 11%. The average worker is going to see anywhere from a dollar to three fifty an hour increase, along with up to a dollar twenty-five an hour increase in bonuses. They never had sick time; they actually have sick time now, and then they've increased some of their um, PTO stuff as well. Ballots for the vote are due by next Tuesday night, with a count scheduled for next Wednesday morning. If the vote passes, the contract will come into effect October first. No. I- I'm looking forward to this partnership. I think it's going to be good for everybody, and I guess time will tell. But uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, I think this is a pretty pretty darn good contract from what I saw, and I've negotiated you know, a lot of contracts. You have been listening to the voice of Rob Belk, president of CWA Local 4652, and negotiator on the Noble Knight Games contract. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Sean Higgerup. Grocery chains Chager, uh, Kroger and Albertsons are expected to merge in October. This merger has the potential to lower wages and increase prices to the consumer. Greg Jabowski spoke to Melanie Bartoff, Secretary-Treasurer of United Food and Commercial Workers Union, Local 1473, about the proposed merger. Grocery chains Kroger and Albertsons are expected to merge in October. Greg Jabosky spoke to Melanie Barthoff, Secretary-Treasurer of United Food and Commercial Workers Union Local 1473, about the proposed merger. The Kroger-Albertsons merger is proposed but has not yet been approved by the FTC. So Kroger and Albertsons would like to merge with each other, and the FTC is currently reviewing the merger. They have the power to block it. 
So USCW is calling on the FTC to block the merger. This is happening, obviously, at the national level. The reasons that USCW is opposed to the merger, this would be the largest, um, the two largest grocery uh, companies in the United States merging if this merger were to take place. Um, UFCW represents about 350,000 Kroger and Albertsons workers across the country. Mergers have led to lower wages for workers and increases in consumer prices. We also know that historically, following large mergers like this, prices historically rise for consumers. Um, and I think COVID showed us all very well uh, some of the, the challenges and problems with having large monopolies in the food sector. So we are in good company with our opposition to the merger. We're joined by the National Farmers Union, the National Family Farm Coalition, National Employment Law Project, and others, including the Teamsters, um, who represent about 22,000 uh, warehouse employees at Kroger Albertsons nationally. So, yeah, UFCW uh, has come out very publicly against the merger. Um, Thankfully, I can report that in Wisconsin, there are no planned divestitures of our stores in the state of Wisconsin or any stores that we know of in Wisconsin. However, shortly after Labor Day, the companies announced a large divestiture plan with CNS wholesalers that would cover uh, about a, uh, 413 stores and eight distribution centers across 17 states. If the Securities and Exchange Commission approves the pending merger and CNS wholesale grocers purchase the merged grocery chains, the news is not all bleak. Um, the good news with that divestiture is that um, CNS uh, has agreed to maintain the collective bargaining agreements for those union stores, um, and, and that would only take place uh, following the, the closure of the merger if it is, in fact, approved by the FTC. So uh, with that uh, CNS divestiture, that, that does include some UFCW union stores in other states like Illinois and uh, states on the East Coast and the West Coast. Thanks to Greg Jabosky for the interview. This is Carol Weidel. The state budget has been approved for months, but the raises for workers are still in limbo. Scott McCullough goes through the details of the compensation plan. On July 5th, Wisconsin's governor signed the state budget. While this approved and allocated funding to various things, such as state agencies, the University of Wisconsin system, and state contributions to local school districts, it was not the final step for the 4% general wage adjustment for state and university employees that was included in the budget. Those pay increases, as well as any other changes to pay schedules or employee compensation, are subject to a separate document called the State of Wisconsin Compensation Plan. While the budget allocates funds and sets overall dollar amounts for state compensation, the compensation plan contains the real details for implementation. 
Similar to how the budget is proposed from the executive branch and then approved by the legislature, the compensation plan is proposed by the Department of Administration, an executive agency, before going for approval to the Joint Committee on Employee Relations, or JOKER. Like the budget, the compensation plan covers a two-year period. The state budget, as passed, included funding for a 4% general wage adjustment for all state and university employees in an FTE, or full-time equivalent, position starting on July 2, 2023, and another 2% general wage adjustment for June 30, 2024. Assuming these aren't removed from the compensation plan by the time it is passed, workers will receive a lump sum payment back to July 2. It is at the discretion of individual agencies whether the general wage adjustment will include so-called limited-term employees, or LTEs. The Department of Administration submitted a letter to JOKER on July 31st outlining the major changes in their proposed plan. These highlights include the general wage adjustments, modified pay administration and progression for some specific positions, pay increases for positions found to be currently paid below market, and a proposal for a new semi-automatic pay progression system for some classifications that don't currently have their own pay progression system. On September 13th, the Legislative Audit Bureau published their analysis of the proposed compensation plan and sent it to the members of JOKER. This is a key step toward approval of the plan. However, JOKER does not currently have any meetings on their schedule to review the compensation plan. Two years ago, the last time they had a compensation plan to review and approve, they did not vote on it until December 22nd. The status of the compensation approval got more tenuous this week as Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, who also chairs Joker, told WIS Politics that he plans to block the general wage adjustment for 41,000 university system employees in his ongoing fight against diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, often called DEI, reports the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. During the budget process, Voss led the legislature in cutting $32 million from the UW system, saying they wouldn't get the funding unless they ended their DEI programs. Governor Evers vetoed the elimination of the positions, but the funding cuts remained. Now, Voss continues this campaign on the compensation plan front, saying to WIS Politics, quote, I don't think that they deserve to have any more resources until they accomplish the goal. Not a nickel. When I say a nickel, that's what I mean. End quote. Since the passage of Act 10 in 2011, Scott Walker's so-called budget repair bill, the vast majority of state and university employees have had no avenue of collective bargaining to advocate for wages and benefits. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics Consumer Price Index Inflation Calculator, inflation grew 35.3% from June 2011 to June 2023. During that same time, state employees have experienced general wage adjustments of just 12.6%. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Scott McCullough. Ah, pizza. Here's some labor history from 17 years ago, September 22nd of 2006. This segment was produced by the Pennsylvania-based Rick Smith Show. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 2006. Eleven Domino's Pizza delivery drivers in Pensacola, Florida, formed what is thought to be the first ever Union of Pizza Delivery Drivers. The American Union of Pizza Delivery Drivers won recognition from the National Labor Relations Board as the bargaining agent for drivers at the Pensacola franchise. Jim Pohl, a 37-year-old Domino's driver, started the union drive. 
He explained to a reporter, when Domino's declared us tipped employees and refused to pay us the Florida minimum wage of $6.40, I was kind of angry. I came home that night and I told my buddy, I said, we are forming a union. Paul then looked on the internet for a labor lawyer. He found one who had worked on unsuccessful organizing efforts by pizza workers in Ohio, Michigan, and St. Louis. The attorney helped Pohl submit a petition to the National Labor Relations Board. The NLRB noted that the union appeared to be the first of its kind. In response, a Domino's spokesman stated, We do not believe it necessary in our industry and are surprised that the individual employees in that store voted to turn over their ability to represent themselves to their supervisor to someone else. The Domino franchise owner also increased wages at six other stores to ensure those workers did not also form a union. Union organizing drives and efforts to raise wages of fast food workers are important efforts for today's labor movement. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. And now, our statistic of the week, the effects of Raise the Wage Act on workers in our congressional district. The 2nd Congressional District of Wisconsin covers Dane County, Iowa County, Lafayette, Sauk, and Greene Counties, as well as portions of Richland County and Rock. The Raise the Wage Act of 2023 will have a significant impact on our district. The federal minimum wage is $7.25 an hour, and has remained fixed at this rate for 14 years. Over this period of time, due to inflation, the real value of the wage has decreased by 30%. The Raise the Wage Act of 2023 would raise the federal minimum to $17 per hour by 2028. The bill would also gradually raise and then eliminate the sub-minimum wage for tip workers, workers with disabilities, and youth workers so that all workers covered by the Fair Labor Standards Act would have the same basic wage. While it is true that wages have risen in our area since COVID, a large number of workers would still benefit from this increase. There are about 374,000 workers covered by the Fair Labor Standards Act in the 2nd Congressional District. Of those, 70,000 would be affected by the increase, or about 18% of the workforce. The total upward value of the wage change by 2028 would be $240 million. The average annual wage increase of affected workers would be about $3,422. Thanks to the Economic Policy Institute for the information on this statistic of the week. I am Frank Emsbach from Madison Labor Radio. Madison Sourdough continues to make some progress in negotiations. Melanie Bartoff also had an update on the newly organized Madison Sourdough. The um, issue that you may have heard of is that the owner, Drew, has not been present at our bargaining sessions. And uh, he was present at one session, but he's not been present um, for the other sessions. So that is still the case. He is still not uh, at the table, um, but we have um, been negotiating with the company's attorney, uh, Drew's co-owner and wife, Emma, uh, who's also employed at the bakery, 
and um, yeah, they've been the, the primary spokespeople for the company that we've been negotiating with. What you may have heard is that we have had some struggles over the course of our negotiations with getting adequate time at the table, um, specifically the company, you know, committing to long enough bargaining days and frequent sessions. And I would say, you know, we're still not totally pleased with how regularly we're meeting and the length of our sessions. I think we would like to, to meet for longer days if possible, and we certainly like to meet more frequently. But um, we have been able to secure three bargaining dates for the month of October, which is progress, and uh, we're meeting for six-hour days, which is longer than the two hours that they were giving us in the beginning. So we're, we're making progress. Uh, as far as Madison Sourdough, I would just add, because I know there is so much community support and so much community awareness, uh, particularly on Labor Radio, about um, our sourdough negotiations. So I would just say uh, the workers still very much appreciate community support, folks coming into the bakery, buying a little baked good or a coffee or having lunch there and just sending a, a message of solidarity to the workers while you're in there. Um, we are moving in the right direction with our negotiations, and we're pleased about that, but we certainly still have a long way to go. We are not to the finish line yet, so that community support still really means a lot, and we really appreciate all the listeners that have supported the workers and, and all of this throughout uh, our uh, negotiations so far. This Thursday at 12.30 in the afternoon, you can hear Labor Radio's Frank Emspeck joining John Melrod in the discussion titled From Ivory Towers to Satanic Mills, Students in Industrial Organizing. Emspeck and Melrod were both student activists and both took their working class politics to, to labor organizing on the fa factory floor shop. That's Thursday afternoon, September 28th at 12.30 at the Havens Wright Center Seminar Room, Seawell Social si Science Building, Room 8108-1180, Observatory Drive on the UW campus. Later in the evening at 6, Melrod joins Dane Country NAACP Labor Committee Chair Bill. Fr Frank's at a room of one's own bookstore. A Zoom link is available right now at the Havens Wright Center website. Yep. The Wartfall Pledge Drive will run from Tuesday, September 26th through Monday, October 9th. So we will be asking you to donate during, <clears throat> screw me, during the next two labor radio shows. Please remember to pledge your support. Also, the station needs several more phone answerers during the drive. You can sign up on the website at wharffm.org. Thanks for your ongoing help to keep WORT and labor radio on the air. Thanks for listening to, Lab to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Mike Bernhardt. Thanks to editor Frank Emspach, assistants Robin G, reporters Greg Jabowski, Sean Hagerup, Scott McCullough, Clara Wyde Carol Widell, and damage control specialist Joanne Powers. Special thanks to Steve Kathan, geez, Steve 
to Keith Steffen, our reader coordinator, web poster, Anu Lee, and to all of our readers, and the members of IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Madison Delier. We also like to thank all of our genuous contributors to Labor Radio and WRT. Please stay tuned for Blues Cruise with Dave Watts and the professor Bill Clark. <laughs>